Radio Gag, the Gays Against Guns show. Prepare to gag, yeah. Good evening and welcome to Radio Gag, the weekly Gays Against Guns show. Your update on how to end the horror that is um, the American gun violence epidemic. I'm Sarah Germain Lilly. And I am Jake Tolan. This week's show is Gun Collector in the Family, a personal interview with a gun owner slash collector, Sarah's nephew, Jack Baker from Bellingham, Washington, that expresses his point of view on key points of gun ownership and gun policy in America. First, the latest gun violence prevention news. Police say a Long Island man fired several shots into the ground near a high school football field over a landscaping dispute, triggering lockdowns at two schools. Roosevelt High School and Middle School were placed on lockdown Tuesday morning. School officials and police say there are no injuries. Police told WABC-TV that the man confronted two school landscapers over downed trees on his property and fired shots into the ground. Nassau Police Commissioner Patrick Ryder tells Newsday about 40 teachers and 100 student-athletes were at the high school. Classes start September 3rd. Ryder says the man barricaded himself in his home with two other adults and a six-year-old child. He later surrendered without incident. And March for Our Lives, the student-led movement established after the Parkland shooting, released a peace plan for a safer America. The plan calls for a national licensing and gun registry, a ban on assault weapons and high-capacity magazines, a mandatory gun buyback program, and installing a national director of gun violence prevention. The March for Our Lives hashtag peace plan also calls for raising the minimum age of of purchasing a firearm to 21, and it requires a 10-day waiting period for all purchases. The plan additionally addresses other factors contributing to gun violence by expanding mental health services and social programs that address suicide, domestic violence, and urban violence. It also calls for automatic voter registration when eligible voters turn 18. In a statement accompanying the plan's release, David Hogg, Parkland survivor and March for Our Lives co-founder, said, For too long, we have looked to elected officials to solve America's gun violence crisis, and time and time again, they have fallen to the pressure of NRA donations and the status quo. Their failure to do their jobs has had deadly consequences, and we won't stand by and do nothing. In other news, the House Judiciary Committee is due to vote on gun violence prevention bills before the end of congressional recess on September 4th. The bills include measures that would ban high-capacity magazines, red flag legislations that would enable court orders to intervene and temporarily prevent someone in crisis from having access to a firearm, and a bill to prevent individuals convicted of misdemeanor hate crimes from purchasing firearms. The committee also announced it will be holding a hearing on military-style assault weapons on September 25th. Background check legislation, H.R. 8, passed in the House six months ago, is currently waiting on a Senate vote, but Mitch McConnell has yet to put it to a vote. He said the legislation will be front and center when the Senate reconvenes after summer recess, but indicated that negotiations are ongoing and the bill would likely not appear without significant adjustments to favor the gun lobby. In related news, New York became the 17th state to roll out its own red flag legislation this weekend. Starting Saturday... Relatives, household members, school administrators, cops, and district attorneys have the right to file a petition with the state Supreme Court reporting individuals who may fall under the red flag guidelines. Petitioners must provide evidence that individuals own, possess, or otherwise have access to a firearm and pose a threat to themselves or others. 
Applications will be heard and a decision will be made on the same day a petition is filed. If a person is found likely to engage in conduct that would result in serious harm, a temporary extreme risk protection order can be issued immediately, blocking the individual from firearm access, including the removal of guns from that person's home. Once a protection order has been issued, the plan calls for a follow-up hearing within three to six days to decide whether to keep the weapons out of the home for up to a year. There is also a possibility to renew the ban after that. Federal officials say they seized over 50,000 firearm parts that arrived illegally from China at California's Los Angeles and Long Beach ports. The The parts include sights, stocks, muzzles, buffer kits, and grips. Arriving in three shipments, they have an estimated combined value of nearly $400,000. The parts were on their way to a U.S.-based gun parts seller and distributor. However, the U.S. has had an arms embargo on China since the 1989 crackdown on pro-democracy protesters in Tiananmen Square. An investigation is ongoing, but U.S. Customs and Border Protection has not released details about the shipment. Who? they were going to, who shipped them, or whether anyone would be charged in connection with the seizure. So we had some good news this week. It seems the building momentum in the gun violence prevention movement has resulted in meaningful legislation for the first time in decades. Yeah, and I think that movement is heartening, but there's definitely still a strong market for illegally flowing arms into and out of the U.S. It's already caused irreparable damage in countries like Jamaica or Mexico, where our historically lax gun laws have supplied arms to their more serious organized crime issues. Even if we manage to pass these new laws and policy proposals, which is a big if, with NRA-funded Republicans controlling the Senate, it's still going to take a long time to undo the damage that our decades of political inaction on these issues has wrought. Now, we take a moment to honor one person who lost their life due to gun violence. Please join us as we reflect for a moment on the life and senseless loss of Javier Amir Rodriguez. (sighs) Javier Amir Rodriguez passed away on August 3, 2019, at the age of 15, when he was shot in the head and killed at a Walmart in El Paso, Texas, along with 21 other people during a white supremacist massacre. Amir was there with his uncle, Octavio Lazard, to get new clothes and school supplies before he started his sophomore year of high school. Octavio survived with only severe bullet wounds to his foot, and says the gunman turned around and sought them out when he yelled to Amir in Spanish. Octavio, who is 23, says the pair were like brothers, playing video games, laughing about Facebook memes, and ruffling Amir's thick black hair. Attendees at his funeral said he will be remembered for his laughs and never missing soccer practice. Amir was the youngest victim of that shooting. Thank you, Jay. Welcome back. You're listening to WBAI 99.5 FM. I'm Jake. I'm Sarah. Your hosts, and this is the Gays Against Guns show with the Gun Collector in the Family show. Next is our special feature, an interview with a gun collector. I spoke to my nephew, Jack Baker, while on a family vacation in beautiful Pacific Northwest. Jack 
is a gun collector and has been an amateur expert on all types of weapons, infantry, Navy, and Air Force, throughout history, at least since middle school. He and his brother visit local shooting ranges in the Bellingham, Washington area, and sometimes shoot at an abandoned quarry a few miles from their home. Jack considers himself a moderate gun owner and was enthusiastic about being interviewed for the show. So Jack, are you disturbed by the white supremacy of uh, some of these mass shooters and um, how do you react to that or relate to it? I'm certainly disturbed. It's a growing trend to publicly show your white supremacy, but these groups have been around a long time and they've been relatively heavily armed for a long time. Especially here in the Pacific Northwest, we've got big knots of them. Occasionally there are flare-ups, but there's none of them have actually gone out and done anything. Um, mostly they're content to sit in their little compounds hoarding firearms and ammunition and spout anti-government stuff and white supremacist nonsense. Part of me thinks that, you know, let them be in their compounds with all their guns and ammunition, like, as long as they're not going to do anything. But individuals are now, and hopefully it won't lead to large-scale violence. And certainly the precedent is that it won't. But it's, it's still a possibility. I think it's a fairly remote possibility, but it's still there. Well, they have the capabilities. They, yeah, they have the capabilities. They have the weapons. They have the white supremacist philosophy, and they've been going on for years and years and years. And now they have these in, these individuals who are going out and, you know, shooting up WalMarts or schools or schools or what have you. Mosques and uh, churches. Churches. Nightclubs. Yeah, and they're, it might embolden them. How do you feel about banning automatic weapons, specifically rifles? Definition of terms. Semi-automatic is one shot fired for each pull of the trigger, with the weapon resetting after every pull. So if you hold the trigger down, it's still only one shot. Fully automatic is holding down the trigger, it will, the weapon will continue to fire until the magazine is expended or the trigger is released. Banning semi-automatic weapons is not only not feasible, but a bandage over the wound. It's not, first of all, feasibility. They are so incredibly popular, and they are, in non-militaristic fashion, very, very useful. Especially as a hunting, and doubly especially as competition weapons. For hunting, if you need a rapid follow-up shot. Um, if you miss, if you don't hit the animal in the right spot, being able to get off another one or two rounds can be very useful. What do you say to people who tell you that automatic weapons are weapons of war, they tear up the meat, they do incredible damage even to an intruder, you might not want to murder that person, you might want to take them down, as you say, and um, and not kill them by using such a devastating bullet as a hollow bullet ammunition. So the thing is, is that you often don't have, if somebody is intruding on you, you don't have the time to stand there and be, do I want to, how I want to engage this person. You just have to engage them. And of course it's going to do a lot of damage. That's what it's designed to do. A sword does a lot of damage. A cast iron candlestick is going to do a lot of damage. And in fact, if 
a lot of firearms don't leave horrific, grievous wounds. They are grievous, but they're not visually grievous. It's a little hole in the front and a big hole out the back. And oftentimes, it's going to be instantaneous. It's instantaneous be what? Takedown. That the person dies? Not that they die, but that they stop. And that's the point. Now, granted, a firearm doesn't have fine control over if I shoot him here, will he just not die, or as opposed to where I'm shooting him there. But taking a 9mm or 45 slug, or even a 22, is going to stop somebody long enough for me to get away or to somehow resolve it. And they might die as a result, yes, but... And we're talking extreme here. Oftentimes, just brandishing the firearm will be enough. How do you feel about background checks, uh, universal background checks for gun sales? I think that is our logical next step. It might be very difficult to get that system up and running in an efficient manner because we live in a very large country with a very large population. And devolving that to the states just means you're going to have 50 different versions of that system that might not all be compatible. But it's, I think, a necessary step. So you just heard Jack's views on some hot-button issues and about white supremacy. And after the interview, I was talking to uh, both of my nephews about their visit to a local gun show, and they told me that they had seen white supremacist literature for sale there alongside the weapons. Um, I want to listen now to uh, a little bit of an introduction about Jack. Maybe you'll have more of an insight about how he developed this affinity for weapons, why he is kind of into this uh, militaristic type of thinking, and um, more about his background. So let's listen. So I am Sarah Lilly, and I am in Bellingham, Washington, with my nephew. Hello. Jack. Jack, you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, my name is William Baker. I go by Jack. I reside here in Bellingham, Washington, on the scenic Puget Sound. I'm 33 years old, and I'm a gun owner. Okay. So, Jack, um, how and why did you first get into guns? Um, I'd always been fascinated by, like, army stuff when I was a little kid, and that just kind of extrapolated out into both a love of firearms and a love of history. Okay, so that's as a as a child, yeah, really. As a child. You were interested in guns and weaponry and stuff like that. Yeah. Okay. And how did that lead to you uh, owning a gun? Um, it kind of started with my father, who mm -hmm. really encouraged me to learn how to shoot and learn how to be safe. Whenever I would go and visit him in California, he would take me out to a range that was nearby. Paid for a professional teacher. I did a two-week course twice a week, so a total of four lessons about gun safety and how to safely operate and handle a firearm, how to store a firearm. So how old were you then? 12, 13. Okay. So you're 12 or 13, yeah. and you went to the range a few times, Yeah. and you got some training. Okay. Uh, how many guns do you have? Handguns, rifles? I've got three rifles, a rifle musket, and a handgun. Three rifles, a musket. Okay, yeah. so that's uh, you were telling me before. That's the one that uh, you have to you have to yeah. load it with black powder yeah. and a um, ball. Yeah, uh, through the muzzle, through the muzzle, through the front, um, through the end of the barrel. Okay, um, uh, U.S. Civil War era. Um, wow, eighteen sixties. Okay, and how do you store your guns? I have a 
rather nice glass-fronted locking case that has a, like, storage part on in, on top where the glass is in front of that kind of shows the collection. Um, and then it has a secondary kind of cubby underneath that also locks, that are two separate locks. Okay. So I felt reassured somewhat that Jack was interested in gun safety and um, and about when I learned about the training and the way that his dad had introduced him to guns, it seemed more logical to me to understand his affinity for weapons and then his historical interests. But I have to tell you that I was really pretty shocked when I heard Jack describe the damage assault weapons do with such detachment. The Washington state voters just passed several stricter gun laws in a recent election, and both of my nephews voted against them. Uh, yeah, you know, listening to him reminds me of a lot of conversations that I've had with my own family members. I grew up in rural Pennsylvania, so basically everybody I knew as a kid had some kind of rifle or weapon in their house. Um, and it, especially like, Hearing him talk about the gun parts, as a gun enthusiast, he's an expert on it. And even though I know the statistics about gun safety, like a lot, that can just fly over my head. As much as I try to educate myself, I don't have all of it yet. <laughs> but when I was listening to him, it, it's a little bit rude, but I almost, I had to laugh when he was talking about the hunting thing because all I could think about was this 30 to 50 feral hogs. And if you saw this, it was a meme that took over Twitter after the Dayton and El Paso shootings. Uh, And basically this guy said, you know, what am I supposed to do if 30 to 50 feral hogs suddenly show up in my yard where my kids are playing and I need to get rid of them in three to five minutes, which is just it's ludicrous. It's a it's a ridiculous scenario to begin with. But it's it's the kind of thing that a lot of people will come up with to defend the broadest possible gun rights. And so. What stuck out in my mind was the way that it did seem like he was downplaying the significance of white supremacy in the lethal shootings that we keep seeing across the country and how closely that ideology is related to gun culture more broadly. Um, You know, it was a a really defensive posturing, which I'm sure that if you are really into guns, it is hard to accept how closely they're related. But like you said, you go to a gun show and there's Nazi memorabilia, there's pro-Confederate memorabilia there, and that's not a fringe issue. It's part of the mainstream. Um, so I, I feel for someone who's really part of this hobby, but if you are the target of one of those hateful ideologies, it's really hard to look past. I feel like there's a need to downplay the danger of white supremacist groups and their racist ideology. And I checked on some of the Washington state militias that uh, Jack was referencing, and there have been violence, murder, and bomb threats in recent years from those very same groups. Some in the militias believe that they should obey only the laws that they personally agree with. And it was very hard to hear the all-or-nothing thinking about an intruder and indifference to suffering that his remarks about the damaging wounds, hollow bullets, and assault weapons can inflict, uh, indicate. My final thoughts ran something like this. Does the sport of hunting and the need for weapons to protect self and property justify the 40,000 deaths each year from murders, suicides, and accidents with guns? Should guns be so easy to obtain when they are so deadly? Most of the civilized world and a majority of Americans say no. 
So it's almost time for us to end our show, and we want to thank you all for listening. To find out more about working with us, please go to gazeagainstguns.net or follow us at gazeagainstgunsny on Facebook and Instagram or gagnoguns on Twitter. Also be sure to check out our website to learn more about our gag chapters located nationwide in cities like Orlando, L.A., D.C., Chicago, and San Francisco. Come to a meeting. Here in New York, we meet every other Thursday at 7 p.m. in Manhattan at the LGBT Center on 13th Street. Our next meeting is this Thursday, 829. Um, We will be planning all kinds of great actions and protests, so please join us. Everybody is welcome at any and all gag events. And another great way to get involved is by becoming a WBAI buddy. A WBAI buddy is someone who keeps our unique volunteer-run radio show going by giving a small donation every month. And really, folks, just a modest monthly contribution can help keep us on the air here at WBAI to bring you this live show every week. Just go to WBAI.org or call 516-620-3602 and become a BAI buddy in the name of Radio Gag. Thank you. And now it's time to finish the show with our Hell Yeahs when we celebrate some of our favorite she-rows and heroes of the week. And non-binary rows. <laughs> Hell yeah to Gag's presence at the Provincetown Carnival and to the Cummings Club and Alan Cummings for a $10,000 donation to Gays Against Guns. Hell yeah! Hell yeah! Hell yeah to New York State for instituting new gun safety regulations. Hell yeah! Hell yeah to Washington State for passing age limits on purchasing guns and other safety measures. Hell yeah! Thank you all for listening, and we are back next Tuesday and every Tuesday at 6.30 p.m. And don't forget, you can listen to our previous shows anytime on the WBAI website or on any major podcast platform. We leave you with our fabulous political singing quartet, Sing Out Louise. Take me out at the ball game. Shoot me down at the bar. Come to the movies and watch us fall. Come to church, come to school, kill us all. Go on block, block, block any gun laws. Sell your soul, have no shame. Yes, it's one, two, three strikes we lose at the old gun game.